Support for Long Form this week comes from listening. If you've ever had to rip through a huge pile of academic papers, you know how painful it can be to spend all that time staring at a piece of paper. Listening makes it really simple to convert anything you have to read into spoken words that you can enjoy on the go. Uses AI to generate realistic voices that sound like actual human beings. Plus, it comes with a powerful set of tools that allows you to do stuff like skip over non-essential text, but also take notes with one click. Your life just got a lot easier. Normally, you'd get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use code longform at checkout. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Longform Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hello. Good day. Max, what's what's going on with the show this week? What's going on with the show this week is that we have a repeat guest. Heather Haverleski has a new book out. It's called Foreverland on the Divine Tedium of Marriage. It is a very, 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 very intimate look at her own marriage. She goes into it in great detail, and I will also say with great humor. You guys know Heather. She's funny. The book is funny. And it's also like pretty raw about her husband and herself and their marriage and their kids. And uh, the book came out a couple of weeks ago and since then has become a whole viral situation. You guys totally unaware of this. Yeah, it's a it's a thing. <laughs> she has some lines in the book where she refers to her husband as like, for example, a heap of laundry. And those moments have been taken I would argue slightly out of context, and have become like viral articles, like the Daily Mail and like The View did a five-minute segment on this woman who hates her husband. They never used her name, but they talked about her in the book. So it's become a thing, but people aren't totally responding to the book. Anyway, we talked about what that's like to uh, pour yourself into a book like this and then have it received in the way that hers has. Heather, of course, is also the Ask Polly advice columnist, formerly at New York Magazine, now on a Substack. I talked to her a couple of years ago at her house in Los Angeles, and uh, it's always nice to talk to her. She's a good time. Good to have her back. This show is uh, brought to you in partnership with Vox, who help us make it. Thanks to them. And now here's Max with Heather Haverleski. Hi, Heather. Hi, Max. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. I wish that we were in that room in the attic of your old house in California like we were last time. That was so much more fun. Yeah, that was great. You had very high-tech mics. I remember that. <laughs> and now we're just like uh, talking over the fucking internet like a, like a yep. couple of rubes. Both East Coast. That whole house has been sold. So much has changed, including that uh, that you wrote a book, and that's what we're here to talk about. Yes. Can you give me your like quick synopsis of what this book is about? Like, how do you describe this 
project to people? I describe the book usually as a comedic memoir that's aimed at showing how many different strange and bewildering and exciting stages there are to any marriage and specifically to my marriage. <laughs> I wanted the book to be as honest as possible. And I think I was surprised actually by the end of writing the book at how it was even more honest than I set out to be, if that makes sense. There were things that I kept in because they were so honest and I felt like they worked really well in the, within the story. The book was more chronological than I thought. So it really is the story of 15 years of a marriage and a lot of stressors on the marriage as it goes along. I'm interested in what those things are that, um, that were so honest you felt like you had to leave them in. Is there an example in your head when you say that? Yeah, I didn't want to keep in the chapter about the crush at all. A crush that you developed on somebody else, we should say. Yeah. So right after I sold the book, I went out to dinner and someone kicked me under the table at dinner and I pulled my foot away and then the foot came back and I pulled my foot away again. You know, I was jumpy, like, what? what is this? And then the foot landed on <laughs> my foot again and... My reaction was sort of like, whoa, who does this? Like, it's obvious I'm married. I drive home to see my husband and I'm like, somebody hit on me, wee, <laughs> you know, and we laughed about it. And then uh, I woke up the next morning, my husband left town and I was like, what is that guy like who hit on me? Like, what does he, what does he even look like? I can't picture him right now. So I looked for some pictures and then I found some clips of him taught, he's an author, found some clips of him talking about his work. And it all started there where I, where he was hotter than I remembered <laughs> and my husband was out of town and I was sort of like, this guy's interesting. What did he want from me exactly? And then, you know, part of it is sort of egotistical, like, you know, you're just living your dumb, grumpy, soft pants life working from home. And, you know, suddenly someone finds you worthy of being hit on, which sounds ridiculous. I mean, how worthy do you have to be to be hit on? But um, I kind of walked around like, what does he like about me? Does he just think I'm just so pretty? Or is it that I'm just super charming? You know, your ego gets involved because your ego hasn't been involved in anything for so long. You know, I won't spoil that chapter, but there are a few twists in the path. And so, you know, it was hard not to include it because it was such a kind of unexpected stress test of my marriage, the situation, and how I dealt with it was a little bit unusual, probably. The thing I find unusual about that chapter is the same thing I find unusual about the book, which is that you wrote it. <laughs> the thing that's unusual is the decision to put it out in the world, because I think whether or not people are getting hit on in their lives, everything that you describe in that chapter is, I think, something that for 98% of people, maybe more, is something that would stay within their inner life. Yeah. And the obvious first question is just like, why? Well, this is my fourth book. I've been writing professionally for 26 years. I started my career writing cartoons that made fun of my coworkers, actually. <laughs> my husband was a fan of my cartoons first. 
years ago. We didn't know each other. And so he was a fan of my mean-spirited humor. It's what yeah. drew him to me. And now I write an advice column called Ask Polly, and it's on Substack. It used to be on New York Magazine. And I also write a Ask Molly, which is a newsletter written by Polly's evil twin. So <laughs> my career and the way that I write has evolved into a pretty strange and half emotional, half wild and ugly thing. And I love it. I feel like because I write an advice column though, I'm not that comfortable being an expert and saying, here's what I do, I'm a genius. You mm -hmm. know, my, my approach to advice is, here's how I can relate to what you're saying. And trust me, when I was younger, I was just as confused as what you're describing. But this book was definitely a step beyond my usual thing. I mean, it, it's the whole story of my marriage. I mean, look, if I didn't think that it served a purpose in the world, I wouldn't feel that comfortable with it. I really feel like I made something that has a purpose and is enjoyable to read. Can you articulate what that purpose is? I think that people in our culture find it very easy to beat themselves up when they fall short of what our culture expects of them. Marriage is, we're seeing in the reaction to my book, considered kind of this sacred realm that we're not supposed to talk about. Mm -hmm. And the intimate behaviors of people within a marriage are supposed to be kept hidden from the people around them. I somewhat naively, when I set out to write the book, thought, I have a wonderful marriage, so I'm a good person to explain that you can still get cold feet and you can still have bad fights within a great marriage like mine. Mm -hmm. As I wrote the book, I definitely tested the greatness of my marriage. <laughs> and that was an interesting experience. And then the pandemic set in. I got cancer. A lot of things happened over the course of the book. So there was all kinds of stress to my marriage while I'm writing about my marriage. Um, I don't recommend doing this to <laughs> anyone else if they want to keep their marriage together. In fact, when I told a friend of mine who's a therapist that I was writing a book about my marriage, he said, Oh, so you're trying to destroy your marriage. And I laughed, but his words proved to be, I mean, they almost felt accurate at times because there were times when I woke up and thought, why am I doing this to myself and my husband? I mean, if you didn't have moments where you had that thought, that really freaked me out. <laughs> but would you still write it if you could go back in time when you pitched the book? Would you still do it? Yeah, I would because I love this book. I mean, it's it's really weird because I have had mixed feelings about each of my books before this one. Mm -hmm. I am not a person who walks around saying, yes, it's all good, obviously, because the, the book itself. <laughs> I mean, clearly. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, that's kind of clear. But I'm so proud of this book. I'm hearing from people who've read it who say, I feel better about my life after reading this. I've heard this from single people, divorced people, married people. And that is how I wanted the book to function. I wanted to show enough that you could feel reassured that it's normal to feel conflicted about your life and the people in it. It's normal to feel anxious about how much people love you. And it's normal to feel avoidant about how much people love you. It's normal to feel like a failure in the face of 
trying to stay with someone over the course of your entire life. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many times in a marriage where you feel like I'm failing myself and I'm failing my husband and I'm failing my kids because I can't be all the things I'm supposed to be. So it had the intended effect. The thing you wanted to do was show people it's normal to be conflicted, to have doubts, even if you've got a marriage that you believe in. But then there's been this other strain of reaction to the book, which has been very public. Walter Kern reviewed it in the New York Times and sort of came to your husband Bill's defense almost. And then this week there was like a whole uh, segment on The View about it where they were talking about basically your decision to write the book and write it as honestly and uh, with as much vulnerability as you did. And again, sort of with this position of almost like defending your husband, I guess I wonder like what your reaction to that reaction is. And also what, like what the fuck is Bill's reaction to becoming a character in this discourse about your book? Yeah. Bill is, has had a great sense of humor about it. He has read the book countless times, at least six times from the beginning to the end. Wow. Even the, okay. So the anger chapter that ran in the New York times where I talk about Bill sneezing and his sounds and how I don't like the learning sciences, that term for his, uh, he's a science education professor. Is that the one where you called him um, a heap of meat or is that a heap of laundry? Yeah, the snoring heap of meat might be in the introduction and then confusing him with an inert heap of laundry is in the anger chapter. <laughs> but when I wrote that chapter, I was laughing and I showed it to Bill and he was laughing. I mean, we've been laughing at this book for a long time. The crushed chapter was, yeah. you know, one that I showed to him and one that I struggled with including. And he was very adamant that I include it and said it was like an important piece of the picture and was really interesting and a great story and it should be included. Um, Bill is not insecure about other people's misunderstandings of him. I think as a writer, I'm much more controlling about wanting people to understand me. And Bill is sort of like, uh, oh, people misunderstand you all the time. It doesn't matter. He's very confident. Which I don't think I could write a book like this if I weren't married to someone like that. Obviously, there are people who would not want uh, their wife writing about them the way I wrote about Bill. But Bill and I have, I don't know, we we make fun of each other and, and we uh, accept each other's flaws to some extent. I mean, I think that I accept his flaws more since I wrote about them, honestly. He, he sneezed the other day across the house and I, I only heard it faintly and I thought, Oh, that was Bill sneezing. It didn't make me mad at all. Progress. That's interesting. Something shifted. So Bill's been great. As far as the getting into this news cycle where people are saying, wife hates husband, calls him snoring heap of meat. I mean, that irritates me. And I think it's hard not to just admit or acknowledge that there's some misogyny in the mix. There's a little bit of like lack of sense of humor for sure. I think that there, there's something about a woman expressing her emotions and laughing about her husband and laughing about her emotions. Like these things just aren't done. Yeah. I think if it were a straightforward, just feminist analysis of marriage, no one would be paying any attention. It feels like it's like I'm breaking people's brains a little bit. <laughs> for me, it's funny. The way that you introduced the book, when I asked you about it at the start, the first word you used was comedic. And I saw a thing in, I think, the Daily Mail 
it's like you um, murdered your children or something, the way that it's <laughs> yeah. being written about, you know? What's interesting is that I did this interview with the Times UK, and I sort of had a light tone, and we were joking around, me and the reporter, and it was very funny and light. You know, she said, do you do that thing where you call your husband your best friend? And she said, because I hate that, right? And I said, yeah, I hate that too, honestly, but Bill is my best friend, unfortunately, and he, but he's more than that. He's sort of like my best friend my therapist and my mother wrapped into one. He's like, my, sometimes I just say to other people like, would I ever leave Bill? No, he's like my mommy. He takes care of me. I would never, I can't leave my mommy. It's kind of a joke. And it, there are some true things about it. It's not a good joke unless there's some truth to it. Right. That piece got picked up by the Daily Mail. And then that became a kind of bastardization of the things I said. And then that was picked up by the New York Post. And then it was just wife calls marriage insane, hates husband. The, even the hate line in the, in the New York Times excerpt, I was writing about Bill's sneezes and snores and sounds because I was setting out to write about anger in this chapter. I was like, okay, let's think about the things that make me angry because I have to include it. I would feel like a fraud if I wrote a book about marriage without addressing anger. It's a part of marriage. Yeah. Every step of the way with this book, I held myself to this very honest high standard. There are parts of the book that I'm sure are difficult to read, but it's a fun ride. It's supposed to be funny. When I wrote, do I hate my husband? Yeah, sure, of course, definitely. I was asking the question without knowing how I would answer it because I knew that that was going to become a question after talking about my husband's terrible sounds and how he gets on my nerves. Uh, the answer is a joke. You have to answer yes if you ask the question, if it's a comedic piece. You have to. You can't say, no, 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 no. Don't worry, reader. You know, there were versions of the crush chapter where I spent the whole time saying, don't worry, though. I'm so married, so married, and I would never sleep with anyone else ever, 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 never because I love my perfect, right. beautiful husband. But you can't, that's not a story. But also there's so much tension in this chapter for you, so just stick with me here. There, <laughs> I let go of that version because it sounded too tortured. And in fact, there was a threat there that I needed to acknowledge for it to be honest. I mean, it's not a good story when you're bullshitting people. I didn't want this book to feel like bullshit. And so many books about marriage do. I didn't want it to feel like a divorce memoir either, which is like the marriage is done so now I can trash the other person. Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot of editing to get it to where I felt like the good was clear and the bad was clear and where it was a real you know, reflection of how my marriage feels from the inside. And I think... Bill's only note was, you make me look better than I actually am. Really? Yeah. He didn't love reading the engagement chapter, but only because he felt embarrassed by how that engagement situation went. You know, he mm -hmm. was just nervous. I mean, I learned a lot in looking back at my marriage. I learned so much about what, you know, the things that make us both, bring us both to our worst possible state. When there's a lot of pressure on Bill and it's like, play this role, he just fall, he kind of starts to fall apart. I mean, I'm the same way. We actually match in that way. Do you feel like your marriage is stronger 
because of the process of writing the book? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know that I would have said that in the middle of it. There was a time when I sort of felt like, what's wrong here? You know, I should feel more madly in love. And why don't I feel that way? I'm asking for more from my marriage now. And I sat Bill down and I said, I write poetry and prose and music and you, you're just all shut down and (laughs) you're not present at all. I feel like we should be communing on a deeper level. And he was like, I'm sitting right here looking at you and listening to you like I always am. He said, I don't back away at all. Maybe you're the one who's withdrawn. Maybe you're the one who's holding me at arm's length. And I had this sort of, oh, because it was true. My poetry and my music were sort of a way of keeping him across the room Mm -hmm. so I could live in my own head. I mean, we're in a great, great, great place now. And we kind of were, but we were kind of doing great during the pandemic. I mean, I had cancer. We were in the house. It was incredibly stressful, but we looked at each other and sort of felt like we're really doing this well. Our house is happy somehow. I don't know how we're pulling this off, but it's working. I mean, I think for us, it was an experiment in radical honesty to set off on this path where I could be writing a book about our marriage and also have kind of a a little bit of a ridiculous obsession that sprang out of the crush and open up all these doors into other things that we cared about and things that we wanted in our lives. I mean, we got to a place where we would really laugh about the crush and laugh about just getting obsessed with a sort of different version of ourselves that lived inside our minds, you know, um, comparing that to reality and sort of thinking, is this all bad? Is it all bad to be a little deluded about yourself? Or do you just, do, do all people have this thing where they want to feel like their lives could be a little more colorful and a little bigger than they are, you know? Mm-hmm. One of the things that's difficult about a marriage is that you know you're going to be doing it until you're dead. Right. Right. At one point I was talking to Bill about, you know, how some people cheat and this is how they let a little air in sometimes. And other times it's just about lying. And there are all these reasons people do these things when they're married. And I was saying, you know, I never understood cheating before. And now I get it. Part of it is just novelty. Like I could fall in love with a bowler in Ohio and then I could move to Ohio and bowl. Yes. You know, it's just like. It's just not your life. It's not that you're in love. It's yeah. just that you're you're trying on someone else's life for a second and saying, could I actually veer off this life? Do I have that right? Do I have that option? And part of the reason you try that on is because I think it's partially fear. You know you're going to see this person die or they're going to see you die. If it works out, I mean, that's success. And a piece of you is just afraid of losing half of your life when this person disappears. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to grapple with, you know? It's not, it's something that if you are happy in a marriage, sometimes I think people back away from each other for that reason alone. Support for Long Form This Week comes from listening. If you find yourself behind the eight ball needing to read a bunch of academic papers or journals or any kind of dense reading material, you might make your life a lot easier by checking out listening. It takes anything, articles, books, PDFs, 
and turns the text into spoken word that you can absorb no matter what you're doing. The app has a lifelike AI voices complete with emotion and intonation that creates a realistic and pleasant listening experience. So I had to go into the city for some meetings. I needed to review some PDFs, threw them in there, listened to them on the way. It was both pleasant and I kind of forgot that I wasn't like listening to a professionally done audiobook or something like very quickly the voices sounded totally natural and human to me this listening app might just transform how you consume reading material and you can give it a shot yourself risk-free now normally you get a two-week free trial but listeners of long form get a whole month free go to listening.com slash long form or use the code long form at checkout listening your life just got a lot easier Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I want to go back to something you were saying before about the place that you guys got to in the conversation about the crush, like your ability to laugh together about that. Because in a way, that actually sounds like a impossibly idyllic marriage. Part of what I'm wondering is like, have you, by going through this process of like radical honesty and putting it out in the world and trying to analyze your marriage in the middle of a pandemic when you're also undergoing cancer treatment, did you and Bill get on the other side of something through that process? Yeah. I mean, when I first talked to him about it, I mean, it was ridiculous. Like I said, I looked at these pictures and I said, uh-oh, uh, this man's really hot. What does he want from me? And then Bill called from out of town and I said, honey, I've been thinking about that author a lot. <laughs> and he said, oh, so you do want to sleep with that guy? And I was like, no, I don't. I just just wish, you know, I I just understand cheating and I and I I just wish I could have that experience. I want to go to a hotel and just, you know, have sex with some stranger and, you know, like that just sounds amazing, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound amazing? And he's like, "Yeah, but I know the fallout from that stuff and it's not as amazing." He was like, "Haven't you ever fantasized before? Like, don't you ever don't you think about any of these kinds of things?" And I was like, "No, I'm I'm very much a former Catholic. I don't it feels like cheating to me to put ideas in my own head about other people. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of talked through that, but it was still sort of like every time I would bring it up, I'd feel ashamed of myself and humiliated. 
And eventually it became humiliating to admit that it was on my mind, even though it was just nothingness. And I had invented a version of this person. I was a director and I had picked out the soundtrack and I knew exactly how the dialogue would go between me and my crush. And, you know, I just, I think that it got so absurd that I, I had a pretty clear sense that it wasn't real. I think that if I thought it were real, it would have caused problems, right? You know, so part of it was just like being able to look at the truth of the situation versus the kind of escape, your escapist needs to create this alternative reality where you're just, you know, you get to feel exciting and beautiful again. You know, I, it's, it's alluring. It's, I always used to make fun of people who wanted to have affairs because I knew it was ego driven. And now I'm just as bad as them really. And it, that was like a, a crushing blow to my ego to realize that. But it feels to me like there's something freeing in having endured that crushing blow to your ego. It, it is freeing. It's great. It really is great. You know, we don't have an open marriage, just in case that sounds like it's, a, you know, the subtext <laughs> of, of the book. But we're much more open to the world, I think, than we were before. I don't feel as possessive as I did when I was younger. And we are sort of much less possessive of each other than we were before we went through it. And also, Bill and I both had childhoods where we felt a little bit ignored. And so being understood isn't the worst thing to us. It's not so much that the attention from the book I'm talking about, it's more like, I don't understand the fear of just being known that people have. Because I feel good about how I'm portrayed by myself in this book. And Bill feels good about the way he's portrayed because they feel very real and accurate. And so do we have flaws? Yes. But like, what's the alternative? Writing a heroic tale where two people are like a Disney princess and a Disney prince and they ride off into the distance and then you just see them riding for, you know, 288 pages. Like, wait, you know, happily ever after is not a very good story. It's not that interesting. And you don't know anything about people in our romantic stories. You don't understand yeah. anything. You just see their attraction and that's it. And that's supposed to be enough. And, and I think that's why we have a hollowed out understanding of marriage at large. But you could write about anything. And I guess I wonder whether it actually feels like a choice or whether this kind of work, examining your own life in this way to understand yourself I mean, you wrote a book called like how to be a person in the world. And I guess the thing that I'm asking is like, is this the way that you understand how to be a person in the world? Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I mean, I don't want to make it too grandiose because part of it is just, is the story funny? Is it entertaining? Do you learn something from it? Are there ideas in the mix? And do you land at the end of it feeling like something changed within you? Like maybe something got shaken loose? I mean, the problem with the crush chapter wasn't so much like, it's essential that I talk about a crush in this book about marriage. The problem was it was such a great story. I mean, what happened, the way it happened, the way that chapter ends, and my reaction to it emotionally, these are a, a snapshot of something wild that happened to me in the middle of trying to fulfill a book contract about a marriage. I mean, it was like, <laughs> the gods had decided I had to tell this story. You know, if you love writing, and I don't know yet exactly how to do fictional storytelling, but I love true feeling 
If you love that, you cannot turn your back on certain things. It's not even a choice. In some ways, when I would have conversations about whether or not to include this or that, it's almost like I already knew what the outcome would be based on how good a story each thing was. So there was just no, there was no way I could leave out the cancer, but I couldn't go all the way into it because then it would hijack the whole book. There was no way to leave out my anger. And that trip to the Great Barrier Reef where my kids and the birds and my husband were driving me insane. I mean, people keep telling me, why did you do this? It's embarrassing. I mean, you know, it's like how many people can sit around a table on The View and agree that even though it's true, she shouldn't have written about it. What is this moralistic consensus about marriage that we have and what good does it serve us? I can't respect that. It's fine that the world is like that, but that's not the world that I want to live in. And so what is it like for you to watch that clip from The View and hear someone on a TV set in New York say, I know that this is true. I just don't think you should say it. Well, I mean, I feel like it proves my point, kind of. So someone sent me the clip, and I was sitting on the couch with my kids. I think we were watching The Bachelor. <laughs> we were watching The Bachelor. I mean, the irony, right? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so I saw the clip, and I started to show it to my kids, and then I started to worry about showing it to them because it was so harsh. And I said, should we stop watching? I don't want to upset you. Is this upsetting you? Should we stop this? And my older daughter said, no, it's absurd. Are they ever going to use your name? Are they even talking about the book's title? What is this wife hates husband? How could they be covering it this way? So she really wanted to see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It just feels surreal. It's like, you know, my, my story is important only in as much as I'm a wife who hates her husband. I wrote this book that no one in the conversation has read. That feels abundantly clear to me. Yeah. Oh, no, they haven't read the book. And they keep referring to the snippets as snippets when they're actually quotes from a piece that's, you know, four telephones down the line that's been repurposed and repurposed and repurposed. Right. Does it make you want to find a way to respond directly? Oh, yeah. I mean, I want them to have me on the show so I can talk to them. I, I would have a great time. <laughs> I can flat iron my hair and be on a TV show. <laughs> you know, I can do that. <laughs> Let me on. I mean, I have respect for what they're doing. I think it's I think it's great. And I don't anticipate getting enraged in person by a conversation about it. I would just like for someone in the room to have read the book. I mean, I don't believe that a comedic memoir by a man would be treated this way. Personally, I don't, I don't see that. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I did it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, 
I'm telling you, you belong, and I'm telling you, you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you surprised that the work that you put into the world has been chopped up and received in the way that it was at least this week? I'm a little surprised. I sort of figured that people would get mad about different aspects of the book, and I figured they would be horrified by the honesty of the book. And some people, I assumed, would react that way. I'm surprised at how it now has this weird shelf life as wife is a total bitch. There are no remnants of the book in the mix anymore. That bothers me because I feel like I wrote something great and no one's really talking about what I wrote. This is how women's careers are limited in part. I've been doing this for 26 years. I've written all kinds of different things. I was a TV critic. I was an essayist. I was a cartoonist. I mean, the thing is you get into the state where you start to lecture people about your experience you know, the view, this is not the first time the view has talked about me, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I wrote a piece for the New York Times in 2014, and it was about how mom culture is this sort of inherently slightly cheerleadery and also condescending thing that rubs me slightly the wrong way. And I also don't love strangers calling me mom. So anyway, I wrote this piece and the whole point of the piece was, Don't call me mom if you're not my kid. (laughs) And then Whoopi begins the segment saying, so this mom doesn't want to be called mom. What do you guys think of that? And it's all this like posturing of, well, I love being called mom. I'm proud to be a mother and I love it, you know, which was similar to the New York Times reaction to the original excerpt. Like, well, I love being married. Every second of my marriage is a fantasia of delights. We're never mad at each other. You should get divorced if you're ever mad at your partner. But the irony of that, they didn't use my name in either segment on The View. They just said, wife hates husband. Who is this mom? Well, I don't know. You have her name in front of you. You could say it out loud. Her picture's up behind you. You could turn around. Yeah. Oh, my God. Her picture. I mean, this the, the New York Post picked a picture of me in a bathing suit off of Instagram and put it in their article. Or rather, the Daily Mail did it first, and the New York Post repurposed it. It's surreal. It's like, I, you know, I don't mind some negative attention that much, but it, to sit there with my kids and to try to defend to them, as a woman, we have to tell the truth, and we have to show the full force of our personalities out in the world, even when people don't like it because we live in a sexist culture. To kind of pound that message home over and over again, and to say, no, I'm proud of the way I am, 
I will walk out the door and be who I am. And I will not let the world's allergy to women affect how I feel about myself and affect how free I feel in the world. And then to have them see this example of how that goes for a person. It's kind of heartbreaking. Mm. Did they read the book? Um, no, they don't really want to read the book. I've briefed them on all of the sensitive parts of the book. The first time I told them about the crush chapter, I wanted to warn them and I was really nervous about it. You know, I was saying to them, this book's about marriage. People are very moralistic about marriage. You might go to school and someone might say, your mom's, you know, a slut and it's terrible, you know, watch out. Like, I want you to be prepared for that. If this book is popular, that's how it's going to go. Anyway, I sat them down and told them about the plot of the crush chapter. And at the end of it, my older daughter says, yeah, it's the marriage part that's the most ridiculous part of the story. Like, why do people get married? <laughs> <laughs> and then my younger daughter said, yeah, like, it's ludicrous. How can you stay with the same person for your whole life? Like, don't you want to change and grow? Well, how, is that, how does that even work? And then since then, my older daughter said to me, you know, it's kind of gross when people say they want to have a relationship like their parents, but I really do want to have a relationship like the one that you two have, which kind of made me feel better because I thought they were both pretty cynical about what they were seeing with their own eyes about marriage. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like that arc is like pretty mirrored in the book. What is this? Then there's like a period of kind of cynicism about it. And then, I mean, this is the thing that makes it so clear. And I imagine is part of where the surrealness comes from is there's this whole conversation about you, but it's not about the work. Because if they'd read the last chapter of the book, and I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but you would know that the conversation that they're having on The View or in the Post or in the Daily Mail or whatever is preposterous. It's totally yeah. it's totally disconnected from the idea of the work. And I don't know, Heather, it's like pretty infuriating. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I I feel like I have such a, you know, I've had a long and very lucky career um, that spanned a lot of things. And I, I feel like I almost work really hard to have a sense of humor about my career. And also I'm, you know, pretty comfortable with attention. I'm a show off, but I also don't want to grandstand. I don't want to brag. Mm -hmm. I mean, my writing is not really like that. It's self-deprecating. That's a deep piece of who I am as a person. It's not just like a an affectation. I put myself down a lot. It's just what I do. But this situation makes me question whether or not I stand up for my ideas enough or if I'm making myself too much of a joke. I didn't want to write a dry sociological treatise on marriage. I wanted to write a personal story. And, I, and like I said, I don't mind showing myself. I feel like I accept myself enough that it's okay if people don't like me. Mm. I mean, I think this is interesting for your audience in particular. It's a question for writers, right? Because we all have to present our work so thoroughly just to get people to pick up a book or buy a book or go to the library and read something. You know, you have to be ready for these, all of this kind of weird media circus. There's a point where you have to ask yourself, Am I taking my own work seriously enough here? Am I doing my own really edited, carefully written words a disservice 
by kind of playing along with the clown show narrative of the moment. And I think that the with the view thing, I sort of put the brakes on and said, like, I've got to get on top of this and say something because I'm allergic to diving in and saying, hey, you know what? This is wrong. You know, it just feels so self-important. But by the same token, it's not an accident. You know, it's part of what I'm writing about. Even walking down the path of we're seeing some misogyny here is in itself dangerous because people are so quick to categorize what they're hearing in order to write it off. Everything is approached with these binary extremes. It's either you're red-pilled or you're woke and which side are you on? It's the everything narrative. Which side are you on? Life is much more complicated than that. And the book's much more complicated than that. And what I hear you saying is like, by choosing to go down any of these paths, you are risking getting further away from the actual work. Yeah. And yet to not touch anything, which is another approach, right? As a writer to decide I'm not engaging. I'm not going to go on social media. I'm not going to defend myself. Deciding that is also a dangerous decision because I'm going to let four books and how many volumes of thousands of words have I written that live on the internet still and live in print? Am I just going to yield all of that to wife hates husband? Mm -hmm. It feels wrong to do that. It doesn't feel fair to other women with careers who need someone with a little bit of a voice and a little bit of power to defend them so that when their book comes out, it's not just another look, she's a bitch moment for people to chop up and throw away without actually reading the work. So how do you do that? As you've been thinking about that, what does it look like to you? I mean, what's weird is it actually looks like getting on a plane, putting on makeup, flat ironing my hair and walking onto the set of The View and saying, listen, I have something to say, actually. In order to really do these things well, you have to be prepared to go straight into the middle of something that you don't necessarily naturally love or even support exactly. Or are in control of. Yeah. Once you're on this shoot and you're just like, now I'm that bitch, how do you climb out? And to me, you know, I woke up this morning and I thought, I have to write down my thoughts about the situation so that I can feel less edgy. I just felt like, ugh, like I have something to say about this. And as I started to write down my thoughts, I felt a little better. But part of what I felt was, my God, you know, I should try to get on the view. But if I try to get on the view, that means I've got to, there are all these layers of things that you have to do as a woman, even in the spotlight that men don't have to do. Right. But also the way the culture works, it's like, you've got to go out there looking like a damn celebrity just to defend yourself. <laughs> so, so moving towards that, you know, moving in the direction of the, the open jaws that want to bite you up and, you know, reduce your work to this, these like three words, it goes against every instinct to move into that, right? And to say, I'll go there, say the word and I'm on a plane. It's fascinating to be in a situation where everything feels surreal and warped. And the only way to get yourself out of it is to go straight into the fire. And there's no guarantee that if you go straight into the fire, anything will happen other than you'll come 
get spit out the other side. Oh, yeah. I mean, women become the butt of every joke over nothing. And then suddenly the rest of your career is just, oh, I'm not reading that. I saw her on The View. She was being a bitch. You know, it's like, what kind of mood will I wake up on on the day that I'm supposed to go on The View? I mean, they're not inviting me to go on The View. I hope they do. Hello, View. Please invite me on to your show. <laughs> I hope they do too. Although I will also say that inherent in that choice, in packing a bag, in coming to New York, in spending the night before the show and going there in the morning and sitting and having that conversation and dealing with the fallout and all of that stuff, you're also not writing. Yeah, right. And what kind of a writer are you going to become if you're constantly getting on planes and putting on eyeshadow? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize that because there are plenty of writers who manage it, but can I? Right. Well, that feels to me like some part of the, of the catch-22 you're describing, which is like you either engage and the engagement becomes a job with a bunch of risks, or you don't engage. And then this piece of work that you are proud of that has a bunch of nuance and a bunch of humor in it gets reduced to three words. Yeah, it gets upstaged right? By the circus. I mean, I've worried about this before because I am in kind of the self-help space with my advice column. And it's like, I never wanted to be someone with a nude mic attached to her head, walking around on a stage, talking about a few simple ways to make your life more happier. I'm not denigrating that. I just is not the path that I chose for myself. But what happens to your writing when you choose a path that's adjacent to that, where you're, a lot of what you're doing is just trying to represent your writing with your body and your face. You know, I mean, that's, it's a whole different right, thing. Right. And it's easy enough to believe things based on the way that I talk that about my book that are not accurate at all. The way I talk is fine, but my writing is much more intelligent than my talk. I mean, I think a lot of good writers <laughs> probably feel that way. I think you're pretty good at both of them. Yeah, thanks, Max. I don't know. But, you know, it has been easier to talk about this book than any other book because... I do really feel proud of this book and I, I love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm very anxious to defend it as much as I can. So before we go, I have one text-based theory that I wanted to get your reaction to. Okay. I had this thought about marriage, which is that marriages are defined by their origins, by the moment in which you met and fell in love. And Bill was a reader of yours. He got in touch with you. He's a fan. The way that your marriage began was about your writing and about your work. It was connected and so like embedded in this work. And that that's part of what makes it possible for you to write a book like this, or maybe somebody else couldn't, is that that is like the texture of the origins of your marriage is about your work. And I think about my own marriage and where we like, where we struggle is, is when we get far away from the time in which we fell in love, you know? And it, I think it's true for a lot of my friends. As I was thinking about it, reading your book, like when you get together, who you are, whether that's a moment of joy or trauma or freedom or stress, how you come to know each other, I think it has all of these defining qualities of how the, the relationship plays out and what your expectations are of each other and how those codependencies 
form like that's so true this is my theory and i wonder if you're what your reaction is yeah that's absolutely true when i met my husband i had finally turned this corner where i said i'm gonna live my own life and i'm gonna take pride in who i am there's a big advantage to having a full career when you meet someone i mean bill and i have a constellation of personality flaws that could make two people miserable and could definitely make two people get divorced but there's a way that we were just mature enough. <laughs> you know, we talked about that a lot when we first met, actually, where we'd say, wow, I'm glad I didn't meet you two years ago because I would have ruined it. Yeah. And we're almost having a renaissance in part because by having to defend and celebrate this weird, confessional, very revealing book, we're sort of reconnected to why we're together in the first place. You know, he's someone who can handle really an, an egalitarian relationship. And he's someone who can handle a very demanding and difficult wife. And uh, and also a somewhat arrogant, joking, mocking, strange person. You know, he can handle it and he loves those things. And so <laughs> I feel really grateful. It's funny because I set out to question why do people get married? What is, you know, I didn't want to write a book that was just my best friend and I are so thankful, you know, chapter after chapter. And yet here I am and my <laughs> dominant emotion at the end of having written this thing and everyone's still misunderstanding and reducing what I wrote. My dominant emotion is always just gratitude. I just feel so grateful for my husband, and so grateful for the marriage that we've built together. I'm not just saying that. I think you trust that because you've read the book. It's really overwhelming. To This morning, I was trying to address the view thing, and I took a little picture of a paragraph of the book, and I just started crying. Hmm. <sighs> it's just... So much of my heart is in this book that sometimes it's like watching your heart get kicked down the road because people aren't picking it up and looking at it, whatever. I mean, I, I don't feel that self-pitying ultimately. It's just, it's a lot. There are a lot of emotions in the mix. But you know, gratitude is the gratitude is at the center of it. Even when I took the picture of the text, I was thinking, I'm so lucky to be in this situation. Like that's the thing I keep telling myself. It's surreal and strange and intense and hard, but it's also just, I'm just lucky that anyone is paying attention at all. Even if it's dismissive attention, I wrote something I'm proud of and, and I'm hoping that it translates into people actually reading my words because I'm very, very proud of them. Well, as someone who read them, I think you should be. Thanks, Max. I mean, I feel like I'm pounding that home too much, honestly. Just like, I'm so, oh, this book is the best. But, you know, in a way saying this book is the best is sort of like, it's part of saying my marriage is good. You know what I mean? Like, because I feel like I'm pushing back on this. Who are you, you bitch? Get divorced. That's the place that I was coming from with that idea is like, marriage is a project and the book is a project. And I think what's clear when you read it is that, the two of you are in those projects together. And that's like both all you can ask for and the thing that seems totally missed 
in this reaction stuff we've been talking about. Yeah. It's yeah. a good joke. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. A good, it's a good joke. It, it's a good joke. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that you're both laughing. I think it's true that we're enjoying it. We're enjoying it. I don't walk out the door thinking, oh, no, now everyone knows we're terrible. I sort of walk out the door thinking, okay, now everyone knows we're terrible. <laughs> you know, like, it feels, <laughs> it feels kind of freeing. Hey, Heather, thanks for doing this. Thanks a lot, Max. It was really nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. This episode was edited by Gabriella Saldivia and Susan Peterson did the show notes. Thanks to them. Thanks to our friends at Vox, who we make this show with. And thanks so much to Heather. Her book is called Foreverland. You should read it. The whole thing. To the end. We'll see you next week. Support for Long Forum this week came from Listening. Listening makes it easy to convert written text to pleasant audio tracks that you can take in no matter what you're doing. It offers AI voices that manage to express emotion and correctly pronounce complicated technical terms, all while sounding like actual human beings, not robots. The Listening app might just transform how you consume reading material, and you can give it a shot for yourself risk-free Normally, you get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use code longform at checkout. Listening. Your life just got a lot easier.